If you've not been with us, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, writes this letter to Timothy. Timothy is probably in his late 20s, early 30s. He went around with the Apostle Paul. He became a believer and followed the Apostle Paul as a young as a teenager, going around and starting churches with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul had gone on and he said, Timothy, I'm going to you, leave you in a town called Ephesus, and I need you to make sure that the church does what it's supposed to do. So this letter is very helpful. It is a personal letter to Timothy, but it's part of the canon of Scripture, and so the Holy Spirit inspired it to be written so it would be useful for us today in how the church is supposed to be set up, how the church is supposed to function. And so last week, we were talking about being a good servant in Christ Jesus. And again, although Timothy himself is a, a young man, he's to be a, a, an example to the other believers as he's there preaching and teaching. He was supposed to devote himself to the scriptures and the exhortation and the teaching, and he wasn't to neglect the gift. And some of the things that we talked about is how Timothy is supposed to, to practice the things that are godly, as are we. We also ended by saying that Timothy need, needed to keep a close watch on his, on his life and on the things that he believes. And so we, too, need to keep a close watch on our lives, our holiness. Are we following Christ and on what we believe so we would persevere to the end? And so that gets us into chapter 5 where he's continuing for, with more instructions to the church. And so what I want to do is read both verses that we're going to try to cover today and then walk through this together. I'm going to read a little bit out of chapter 4, just as a reminder, and then we'll go into it. Beginning in verse 15, he says, Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Again, Timothy and we are supposed to live our lives in such a way that others see that we're growing. Verse 16, Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now into chapter 5, verse 1. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. That's our text for today. You might just say, well, you could probably just read that and we could be done and do not say amen there. I want to begin with a little bit of a reminder about us being part of God's family, because that plays into the language that the Apostle Paul's using here. We need to get that. Let's look at a few verses together. We're going to be in a lot of different verses. That's why you have the notes. Miss Lori is, doing, is on the computer, and she's going to do her best to keep up on the screens, but you have the notes so you can follow along as I go through these various Bible passages. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus in chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us, watch this, for adoptions to himself as sons or sons and daughters through Jesus Christ. The way you're adopted in is through Jesus. That's how you enter into the family. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he blessed us in the Beloved. First thing I want you to see there, that it is God who has worked to bring us into his family, and that it only happens through Jesus. This is not new, though. In Isaiah 43, 5 through 9, the prophet Isaiah writing, centuries before, 
The Lord says, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons or my sons and daughters from a, a, and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together. This includes the Jewish people. This includes all nations, all the Gentiles. And the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witness to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. The prophet Isaiah was recording what the Lord said. And the Lord said, from all the nations, I'm going to bring them in from the north, the south, the east, and the west. I'm bringing them all to assemble before me. Notice, though, as we read through that, I don't want you to miss what it says you are created for. In verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, you exist for God's glory. That's why you exist. If you think you exist for your own glory, you're missing the point, and your life will be empty. You exist, all things exist ultimately to glorify God, and we see that in Isaiah. A couple more of these, Romans 8, 8 through 17. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, speaking to Christians here, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And in fact, if in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, that's why we hear that language a lot, brothers and sisters, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons or sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. That's that same language. As sons and sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. One of the biggest mistakes that we make all the time is we say we're all God's children. We're not all God's children. We're all God's creation. Those who are adopted into the family by believing in Jesus, they're the ones who are actually part of God's family. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus actually talks about this. He's meeting with his disciples, and then it says this in Luke 8, 19-21, Then his mothers and his brother came to him, like his blood mothers and brothers came to him. But they could not reach him because of the crowd. They're trying to get to Jesus, and he was told, Hey, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They're desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brother are those who hear the word of God and do it. That's the family. The Apostle Paul, again, also picking up on this, he talks about Timothy, as we already read in this letter, 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child or son in the faith. He views Timothy as his son in this family. He also, in Romans 16, 13, he says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. We see this language all throughout the scriptures of that we are a family. Now, why does that matter? Well, we're in the household of God, and this passage, look back at it with me. This is how we're to view one another. 
First Timothy 5, beginning in verse 1 again. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters. We're to have this view of one another as a family. Why am I making a big deal about this? Because some of you do not do this well. You'll do it well with the family members that you like. And in your earthly families, in your blood families, you have some of those family members that you really like, and then you have the crazy cousin, or the crazy aunt, or the crazy uncle. Some of you are looking at me with a blank face. Okay, real quick, I love you. You're the crazy aunt, you're the crazy uncle, you're the crazy cousin. The difficult people that you, when you're having, you're planning out Thanksgiving, you're planning out Christmas, and you're like, oh, are they going to be there? I don't know, I didn't invite them yet, should I? Well, if you don't invite them, they're going to know. Okay? Every family has difficult ones. Let me tell you, you are a difficult one. We all are difficult ones. I am a difficult one. You can say amen, it's true. But we're to view it as family. As family. So in these two verses, the Apostle Paul, he commands Timothy. Now this is a command, this isn't a suggestion, it's a command. He's to encourage everyone in the church. Everyone to him is either gonna be older or younger or the same age, so he's supposed to encourage everybody and we're to do the same. We're to encourage everybody to follow Christ faithfully. But notice that he is to be gentle with them. Look, I do not, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him. Be gentle, build him up like you would a father. Think about that. Some of you had to do this. Some of you had in your earthly, with your earthly father, that they were doing something clearly wrong and you had to go and address it with them. Most of us in that moment do not go in and just start yelling at him. You go in and there's a, there's a, there's a, a form of reverence and respect because he's older. He's your father. So when we do that in the church, which we're apparently supposed to do, right? Don't rebuke. Why would you even rebuke? What would that even mean? That means they're doing something wrong. There's an expectation as we've gone through our church covenant and we look together that we're going to follow Jesus together and that means that we encourage one another but it also means sometimes we have to humbly come and say, hey, I think something's off here. I've been watching for a while the way that you've been acting and I've been praying about it and I don't want to fall into it and I've checked the log in my own eye because I've got a lot, of, a lot of sin myself but I really want to help you and I see this issue. This is expected in the church which also means that you have to be in each other's lives and be willing to be a part of each other's lives. So think about it. If you had your dad, what would that look like to come and have to tell them something? He says, don't rebuke them like that. Timothy, go and encourage. Okay? But then Timothy is also like, hey, you got some y younger men as well? Go and talk to them. Now, Timothy is this church planter. Some would argue a pastor, but he's definitely the, a man in authority in the church. So with the older men, he's to be respectful. But the younger men, he's supposed to look at them as peers and go to them. So that's what's hard is for, for those of you who are a little bit older here to go to the younger men and try to help them. You need to do that in a humble way as well, coming alongside and saying, hey, we're brothers here. I'm not, here, I'm not judging you in this way to where I'm better than you. <laughs> no, in fact, if you knew my heart, I'm worse than you are. I'm the chief of sinners, as we talked about. Having that mentality. And so you go and you encourage them. Now for Timothy in particular, see this letter's being written to him, this spreads to us, but he also says, when you have the older women, go to your mother or go to her like a mother. Man, have you ever had to tell your mom that she's doing something wrong? Hopefully that you did that gently 
and went and said, hey, mom, I just, I want to talk with you about this. It's the same way we should be going to the older ladies, those who are older than you in the church. Doesn't mean we don't do it. Do we, we pray and check our own hearts first. We confess our sin. We make sure that we don't fall into it, but we do go. But again, there's this gentleness idea. And then the younger women. Timothy, again, single, late 20s, early 30s. He's the pastor or church planter here, the guy in authority. And so when he has to go to the other women, younger women, notice what it said there right on the end, in all purity. Making sure that when he does talk to them that he keeps a bit of a distance there because it's, not, it's inappropriate for him to get too close there. It's important that Timothy understands and we understand. So men, listen carefully to me. If you are pursuing, if you are single and you are pursuing relationships, number one, if she's not a Christian, it's off the table, period. Stop it. Don't waste your time. Don't waste her time. And we don't get into evangelism dating. We don't do that. We're not to be unequally yoked. You need to have somebody else who's following Jesus. So if you meet someone, find out quickly. Don't be like, well, I'm going to wait till the fourth date to see if, you know, she's a believer. No. You talk about what you love. You love Christ. You should be talking about him anyway. Find out where she's at. Then, okay, she's a believer. Great. Then she's your sister. Until you get married, she's your sister. Okay? How do you hang out when you go to the movies with your sister? That's how you hang out on a date. You remain appropriate. Now, this would be true for ladies towards men, but speaking to the men. Appropriate as a sister. The Lord decides that that's marriage for you later, then things change in that realm a bit. But you, in all purity, pursue her. Brothers, even those of you who are married right now, you have relationships with other women in here. They're friends of yours. When you go to them, you still need to be very careful and treat them as sisters. No inappropriate joking and things like that just because you're close. Ladies, the same with men, trying to get attention and other things like that. Do not do it. Jesus is very clear about adultery. You know where he says it, it happens? In the heart. If you lust after Someone, it is adultery you committed in your heart. So don't set yourself for those relationships with your sisters in Christ or sisters. Don't do that with your brothers. Just because you're having issues at home, don't go and reach out and try to get this attention from somebody else. Be very careful here. And that's part of what he's telling Timothy. In all purity. So there's supposed to be this correction, this helping, but it's supposed to be done in an encouraging way and it's supposed to be done in a gentle way. So let me, let me spend a little bit of time on that. We got some verses for you today. Some of you are like, it's not my spiritual gift to be gentle. Okay. <laughs> Kindness is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. Being gentle and kind is part of the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're somebody, well, I'm just not gentle, well, then you're probably a sinner about it. You're sinning about it. Why do I say that? Well, Romans 2, 1 through 4. Watch what, what God does with us in Romans 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. This is where the Apostle Paul's writing, saying, how do we judge other people? For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. He was writing at a time to where people were saying, oh, that's bad, and they were really doing it themselves, okay? We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such, such things. Verse 3, do you suppose, O man... You who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? 
Or do you presume on the riches of the kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing, watch this, this is the point I want you to see, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. What does God use with us to bring us to repentance? His kindness and patience and forbearance. Side note here, those of you who really want other people to change, you're like, I really want this person to change, spouse, whatever, kid, whatever it is, and notice that God uses kindness with you. And so if you really want to help people to change, use kindness with them. Use what God uses. Use truth, but with kindness. In 1 Thessalonians 5.14, the Apostle Paul writing here, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and be patient with them all. You're to admonish those who are struggling. If they're just idle right now in their faith, you go to them and you, you admonish them. Say, hey, come on, let's go together. Let's keep going together. Encourage the faint-hearted. Some of you right now are in a place where you're faint-hearted. We need to come around you and encourage you. Not beat you down more, but encourage you. Helping the weak and then, of course, be patient with those that are really easy to be patient with is what the text says, right? No, be patient with them all. Just so you know, also part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience. If you're like, well, I'm just not a patient person, again, you're not walking in the Spirit, you're walking in the flesh. You want to grow, then you grow. And don't be those people, you, you've heard me say it before, do not be those people who say, well, don't ask God for patience. He'll give you something really bad. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Why would you not ask God to give you the fruit of the Spirit? We would want to become more patient people. Ephesians 4, 29-32, this is a great one. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. I could just stop there. Let no corrupting talk. Nothing that you say should corrupt others, but only such as good for building up and fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear you. Think about every word that you say. I'm about to get to this, but I'm going to say it now. There's a warning for you today. There's a warning for all of us today. Every word you speak, you will give an account for. Every word you say to your wife, every word you say to your husband, to your kids, every word you say about other people as you're talking to your wife, your kids, whatever it is, you will give an account for every single word. How do I know that? Matthew 12, 33 through 37. Jesus says this, either make the tree good or its fruit good, or make the tree bad or its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know why you say some things that you say? It comes out of your heart. That's what, according to Jesus, the good person out of his good treasures brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasures brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Likewise, in Romans 14, 10 through 12, the Apostle Paul says this, why do you pass judgment on your brother or you? Why do you despise your brother? Brother, meaning other Christians in particular, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow before me or to me and every tongue shall confess. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every single thing you say, you will give an account for. The question is, do you know Christ? So on that day, when you have to say what you have Given, or given account for what you've said over and over again, are you then going to be able to go, it is true, and I said those things, and it was wrong, and Jesus died for it? Are you going to be able to say on that day that Christ died for that because you were not able 
to be perfect as he is perfect. If you don't, then you have no hope whatsoever. Your only hope is pleading on the blood of Christ. So back to what I was saying about the kindness and back in Ephesians 4, just go back up a little bit. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up and as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Everything that you're saying, you need to ask this question. First of all, as we read earlier, you need to be slow to speak. Some of us need to grow in that area. Is what I'm saying or about to say going to give grace to the person that's hearing? If not, don't say it. And actually ask God's forgiveness for even thinking it. Give grace is what we're saying, giving grace to people. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. When we speak this way, when we gossip about other people, when we slander them, when we turn them down, when we speak harshly to people, we are grieving the Spirit of God inside of us. He says, don't do that. So you can walk in step with the Spirit so that you can be more patient, more kind. That's what he's saying. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. What are you supposed to think on? You think on the gospel. You think that he's forgiven you and you didn't deserve it. So you forgive others and even when they don't deserve it. He's kind to you when you're his enemy. He adopts you into the family when you're his enemy. So you're kind to other people. In Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So, question is, do you think you're a kind person? Are you like, oh man, I'm just, I'm really kind. Well, are you someone that is constantly praying for other people? Are you the kind of person that will actually go to people and say things to them instead of about them? Because apparently, even in this passage with the older men, older women, younger men, younger women, we're supposed to go to them and help them. So that means part of being kind is saying things to people that need to be said, but saying them in a way that is kind. It is unloving and unkind to let people continue down a path of destruction and to continue to live in sin. That is unkind. You believe that? That would be unkind. If you saw somebody doing something, it would be unkind to let them just continue to sin against God. The kind thing to do would be pray for them, ask God to search your heart first, make sure you're not carrying some of that, and then go to them in love like a father, mother, brother, or sister and say it to them so they would grow in Christ. If you don't care about other people growing in Christ, I don't know what you mean when you say you're a Christian. I don't know what you mean by that because for us to be followers of Jesus, it means we help other people follow Jesus. If that just doesn't matter to you, then you really need to ask God to search your heart. Do you gossip about people or slander them? If you do any of that, that's not kind. That would be sinful. Do you assume the best about people? When they're doing something and you start to think of why they're doing it, which one, number one, we can never know people's motives. So if you're one that's judging motives all the time of people, and especially if you go to the negative, you're assuming bad motives. That's not kind. Will you encourage and exhort other Christians? Are you the kind of person that yells at other people? We're to be gentle. Are you yelling at your wife? Are you wives yelling at your husband, cussing at them? That is not kind. And it applies to your sister, brother in Christ, even if they are 
your spouse or children or whoever it is. We're to be kind people. So, just so you know, we all struggle with this. If you're sitting here and you're like, nope, I got all these, nailed it. Please talk to me after the service. (laughs) Because we all struggle here because at times we are in the flesh. So how do we battle this? How do do we actually do this here? I have a few recommendations for you as we close. Here's how I would argue that we battle this thing by the power of the Spirit. Here's what we do. You have to start off and remember the kindness of God in the gospel towards you. You were his enemy and he's been kind to you. Right away, somebody does you wrong, right away you go to, I did wrong against God and he showed me kindness. So I'm gonna show kindness to others. First place you gotta go. Second, remember that Christians are your eternal family members. Like we're gonna be together forever, all of us, okay? So the way that we're talking about one another, we're gonna give an account for that, that's gonna come out. These type of things, that's gonna be there forever. Let's work hard to love one another and be kind here. Remember that though, right? When you're about to, like, well, I'm gonna zing this person right here. Go, oh wait, God was kind towards me and this is, we're gonna be there forever. Yeah, might wanna reconsider, maybe that will help you. Remember, you will give an account for the unkindness, which is sin that Jesus died for. Also, I love this one. Remember, you are free to be kind. You don't have to be angry. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have the Spirit of God, you have the Word of God, you can be kind even when people aren't kind. You're free to do that. Remember again that kindness is part of the fruit of the Spirit, and so we need to walk with Him so that it will be an overflow. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And the last one, I have four verses here that I would encourage you. Some of those we covered today. I would encourage you to memorize these verses. If you're somebody that struggles with being kind to people, then I would encourage you to memorize these verses. So when the moment comes that you're about to really bring it, the Spirit will bring those to mind and you'll go, "Mm, maybe I'll hold off on that. It is a command for us to be kind. And it goes back to seeing the kindness of Christ towards us. Nobody, listen carefully to me, nobody has ever done you wrong to the degree that you have done God wrong. Nobody has ever done you wrong to the same degree that you have done God wrong. And still, God is kind to you. Jesus is kind to you. Jesus comes to die for you. Jesus rises for you. God gives you his spirit to live inside of you, even when you're his enemy. And we've done all that. And so then we rejoice and we can say, you know what? That offense that you have against me, I don't have to hold it against you because God doesn't hold it against me. And so we rejoice in the gospel. And when we're about to take the Lord's Supper now, we're actually going to be celebrating the fact that Jesus has done that for us. So let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness towards us when we do not deserve it. Lord, help us to see one another as truly brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. And, and Lord, that we would encourage one another and push one, along, one another along as we follow Jesus together. But Lord, show us our hearts. Show us what we're saying. And Lord, Help us to take those thoughts captive. Help us, help us by your spirit and your word to, to memorize it so that way you bring it up to our attention and we would remember the kindness of God towards us. And Lord, that we would, we would really use the kindness of God in other people's lives that would bring them to repentance as you have done it in our lives as well. So Lord, we're thankful that we don't have to stay here, 
Lord, we're thankful that we get to, to celebrate the work that you've done, that you've forgiven us for all those unkind words that we have said. Yes, Lord, we know we will give an account of those to you and in front of all the angels of the world, about all people, all times, all places, we will give an account for the things that we have done. But Lord, we're so thankful that in that moment, we get to say, thank you, Jesus, for forgiving it. And he washes us away, washes us white as snow. And so we rejoice in that and celebrate that now in Jesus' name, amen.